So, Claire, beloved Claire on Facebook, said uh, of the last um, podcast when I put it up, she said, thanks, chaps. Had to listen to the first few minutes twice as when Nick asked Joe how he is, Joe said, back at Anchor Lake still. And I thought, have I missed something? Is Joe on holiday again at Anchor Lake? But then he went on to say that both are getting better. So on second hearing, Joe was saying back and ankle ache still. Mm. <laughs> it's the funny way I talk, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you see, you've got to enunciate, haven't you? And I, I, I got into trouble about this the other week, didn't I? Yes, you did, because I thought you said something rude. Yes, what I said, and it was a... I think I need to clarify this for the listener, was uh, uh, we were talking about us as God's work of art. Yeah. And I threw in a little line, which is some of you are a bit abstract and some of you are Pollocks, <laughs> by which I mean Jackson Pollocks, the artist, the movement artist, the action art, I think he called it. Um, this has been misconstrued. Yeah. yeah. And uh, because we always uh, bongo this stuff out if it's genuinely exactly. rude, don't we? Exactly. So. And when I innocently say that Nick is a complete. <laughs> you've probably just misheard it. Was, was that the name of an artist you just said, or was that. Yeah. Oh, of course it was. I'll bongo it to be sure. <laughs> everybody to episode 261 of the Midfaith Crisis podcast. My name is Nick Page. Right there is uh, very childish. <laughs> yes, yeah, still, still giggling. We were just saying. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why it is that talking to each other reduces us to the state of sort of puerile fourteen-year-old. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know. It does. Anyway, no need to share it with the listener. Anyway, um, yes. So, welcome to another episode, and uh, we've got an interview this time. Yes, um, we have, which is very, very interesting. Yeah, uh, fascinating interview. Um, but before that, obviously, we got church notices. Yeah. Anything? Um, no, not really. No, I mean, you know, the Enneagram day is full next Saturday, the 11th, so that's great. Type sixes, hoping for a good time there. I met with our beloved friend Dave Steele. And uh, we're going to do a couple of days for leaders in the new year, probably in April, just after Easter. So keep tuned for that. Um, that could be good. Uh, oh, yeah, there is something else. Our listeners are brilliant. So you remember last week we talked, we, we basically just discussed one email from Simon. And uh, the kindness of our listeners writing in lots of emails, but two in particular um, our friend Joe and a friend of mine, Chris, both um, wrote in uh, offering coaching services and slash counselling slash stuff of help. Um, and oh, I think Simon's certain one of them up on that. So that's really good, isn't it? Yeah, that is really good. And one of the reasons that's very good is because actually the core question, which he began his email with, which is, you know, yeah. kind of counselling or group. We didn't actually bother to answer that, did we? We just ignored. <laughs> yeah. So I, feel, I felt bad about that afterwards. 
having said that, we are thinking about what we can do, and uh, you know, stay tuned for plans. Really, mm. we may have some announcements to make about things. I'm turning into you. I'm yeah, turning into you, you again. Are, again, you're announcing stuff before we really thought it I've through. I've never done this before. <laughs> I've never ever. I always tell you off for this. Anyway, we we've got I, some ideas. I love we've it. We've got some ideas. So. All right, to stop me getting and digging yeah. any deeper. How are you, my friend? Oh, well, do you know what? Doing lots better. I've got to say, um, life is better when you don't have backache. That's it. Mm, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Showing up is quite hard when you're in pain, I've decided. Mm. You know, now in terms of the, the theme of this year. It's tricky, isn't it? And I know my pain is very trivial compared to many people's. Um, but there you are. Pain it still was and distracting. Um. So that was good. And then that, I think I said with you, you know, I never go out and then suddenly I go out a lot. And so we did the last bit of going out on Saturday and we went to see Michael McIntyre in Brighton. And he oh, was wow. very, very funny, as you well know, because you went to see him. In mm. fact, you may have seen him trialling the material, I suspect. I think I did. Yeah, yeah. And well, you know, it was just hilarious. He is very funny. Yeah. Mm. So that was great. Good time with friends and uh, Rachel. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good, how, good. how about yeah. you? How's things? Yeah. Uh, yeah, went to a very interesting talk at the weekend did on um, Alfred the Great. Of course you did. Um, <laughs> as you know, king of Wessex from 848 to... Yeah. Well, no, he wasn't king. He was born in 848 in Wantage, funnily enough. And uh, yeah, and then died in 899. But very uh, important king in terms of uh, fighting the Vikings and uh, mm. very... Uh, very enlightened and Christian King, actually. Yeah, so I thought, uh, well, maybe do quite a okay. series of podcasts on him. How does that sound? I can barely wait. Sounds fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only you would go to a talk on Alfred the Great. No, perhaps you No, wouldn't. actually, it's no. not true. The church, it was in a church. It was full of people who okay. were interested in things. They're not okay. just like you. No, okay, good. Give anyway. me Michael McIntyre. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't like the dark. Oh, I know. It's a bit dark and horrible. Look at it out there. Driving home, driving home through country lanes in the dark, especially with storm, whatever it is. I do wish they'd stop giving storms names. Because, like, it's just making them feel more friendly. Yeah. You know, what did we have? Storm Babette. And I'm really sorry if you had real problems with flooding with Storm Babette. But Babette's night, you know, Babette should be somebody who gives you French bread or something yeah exactly or cooks, cooks great a... food yeah yeah <laughs> don't give if you're gonna give them names give them proper names to indicate yeah. the relative severity and evil of what's coming you know yeah. you should have like you know storm attila or something yeah like storm storm hitler i don't know anyway <laughs> moving yeah. on <laughs> well it's storm karen and it's coming tonight and our yeah. roof still leaks so that's not good Storm Nero. Oh yeah, yeah. Rachel's going to get all very hydrated, isn't she? She is on the plus side. Sorted. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, so don't like that. Oh, Cardoma, you laughed at me. Yes, you laughed at I me. But we, did we not you. have a photo put on the Facebook from friends of ours who went to the Cardoma Cafe in Swansea? We did have uh, a photo put on Facebook of friends of ours at Cardoma, but can I just point out, they're friends of ours and therefore they're very sad people themselves, <laughs> I don't mind telling you. so. <laughs> Thank you, Paul and Joe, for going to the Cardoma and proving that um, 
you, I don't know, you care. You're very right. sad and you have nothing better to do with your lives. <laughs> okay, final thing. This makes me happy. Go on. After um, 38 years of uh, Wedded Bliss trademark, um, we, we've we bought something that we should have bought years ago. We've bought an electric blanket. Oh. <laughs> well, good. I, I can't tell you how good it is. Why did we not have... Why did, Why have we waited so long? It's so great is it? to get into a warm bed. Oh, man. I get into you a know. warm bed every night. Because I'm married to Flame, you know, you know that that Marvel Harry is it one of the Fantastic Four? No, you mean the Human Torch? Oh, the Human Torch. Yes, yeah, I'm married to the yes. Human Torch, so it's always very snuggly. It's it's. I was going to say she hot, but it seemed inappropriate. So anyway, <laughs> I think we really ought to move on. Now. Yeah, I think. Um, we well, anyway, I I do appreciate again. You always feel slightly. Um, you know, talking about this because a lot of people are struggling still to pay energy bills and an electric blanket is a luxury, but it is a luxury and I'm very grateful. Uh, oh, it's good. Is it? Okay. Well, mm. yeah, I recommend you apply immediately. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Anyway, right. So let's let's um, get on to the interview that we've got. And um, Joe, tell us a little bit. Who are you interviewing and why? Okay, well, I am interviewing the fabulous Olivia Jackson, who's written a book. And uh, it's just brilliant. I mean, I won't go through all the book details. It's called Uncertain, but I say it many times uh, in the interview. But it's a fascinating collective memoir of people who are going through deconstruction. I really recommend getting hold of a copy. It's fascinating, especially if you're struggling, if you feel alone, if you wonder if anyone else feels the way you do. Well, the answer is yes, they do. And um, and it is a, is a brilliant book. And she is a, well, she's a wonderful person, brilliant speaker and an absolute joy to interview. So there you go. This is Joe interviewing Olivia Jackson. Well, dear friends, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to the Midfaith Crisis podcast the writer Olivia Jackson, author of Uncertain, a collective memoir of deconstructing faith. Olivia, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. It's so kind of you to do this. Thank you. And uh, for reasons I was just saying, chatting to you beforehand, I was so excited to have a, a you know another a British writer uh, <laughs> writing about deconstruction and a female voice a feminine voice into this whole arena and uh, uh, for me it feels really rare to have a female author writing about deconstruction in this country is just thrilling and uh, I love the book really interesting I've got so many questions um to ask you really coming out of it but before we before we get going for those who don't know you and I don't really know you tell us a little bit about yourself your background where you're coming from well, yeah, uh, I, well, yeah, I'm British, there's that. <laughs> you are. Um, and um, I grew up in a family which wasn't particularly, didn't have a particular faith. Uh, my dad died when I was six. Um, my mum brought us up, um, kind of going to church Christmas and Easter, really. Um, I remember asking my mum, as I think most kids do, you know, what what is God? Um, and she said, mm, God's sort of an idea, which um, I guess was sort of, you know, her her, her attempt at a meta metaphysical <laughs> explanation for the divine. Mm. Um, and, you know, potted along like that for a bit. When I was 14, I was um, 
I was a very shy 14-year-old. I was not happy at all at school. I was being bullied a bit. Um, and also, you know, I was 14. We all know what that's like. Mm. And some friends of mine scooped me up and took me on a Christian summer camp, um, which was great, actually. You know, suddenly I had all these new friends. Um, people mm. were fantastic. They were nothing to do with school. People were lovely to me. I'm still friends with some of the people I met that week. Mm. Um, and... It was my first exposure really to, I guess, charismatic Christianity that wasn't yeah. traditional middle of the road C of E kind of stuff. And I'd never seen, you know, people raising their arms in worship. I'd never heard people singing modern worship songs. Um, I think we sang Shine Jesus Shine at school occasionally, and that was about it. Hmm. Um, and people getting emotional about their faith and people really really believing stuff and knowing mm. what they believed and that kind of stuff. And I, I guess the combination of this is something which is totally not a school where I'm unhappy. This is people mm. who are kind to me. This is people who include me in stuff. This is people mm. who, you know, who really, they know what they believe. And I, you know, I'm a bit all over the place. Um, mm. But there's this, you know, there's this certainty, there's this surety. Um, but also being told by people who I quickly came to trust, well, you know, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. Um, mm. Anybody who doesn't believe this, you, they're going yeah. to hell. Um, and it's that combination of, well, this seems great. And without it, I'm going to hell. Um, it's it's a sort of combination of, it's a sort of, it's that love fear thing <laughs> yeah. that it sets up. Um, and, you know, I guess that that week was, it was, it was a huge turning point. And I really, I threw myself into that uh, very much through my teens, um, which really didn't, didn't help me fit in at school. I can tell you that. Um, and then, you know, left school. Um, I, I'd already been on a couple of sort of short-term mission trips by the time I left school. Mm. Uh, to Eastern Europe, um, left school, had a had a year out and went to university. And after I went to university, got in, got involved in the church when I was at university. Again, lots of fun, uh, lots of mm, lots of rules now that I look back, but also, mm. you know, a, a much more mixed group of people than I had come across, um, much more mixed demographic, which was a real eye opener, you know, to someone who was 18, 19, 20 um, mm. and quite sheltered and this kind of thing. So in, in some ways that was a good thing. In, in other ways, you know, a lot of shame around things like what we now call purity culture, a lot mm. of expectations of how you will behave and dress. And I was, uh, was pretty, I was a pretty judgy teenager. My sister has mm. been reminding me recently because <laughs> she didn't get involved in all of that. And I oh, used gosh. to tell her how she should, what, what she should wear and how mm. she should behave in front of men, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's yeah, fun to look back on. Yeah, uh, um, anyway, after I left university, I um, joined a big international youth mission organization and went overseas. And I was meant to spend six months with them. And that turned into 10 years uh, awesome. in a couple of different countries. And that was very, that was a, an all encompassing experience. Um, I think anybody who's worked overseas in an environment like that will, will understand, you know, this is this is your sole group of friends um we weren't really there wasn't an explicit discouragement from socializing outside of the group but it was sort of tacitly mm. there um there was certainly no effort to socialize made by pretty much anyone and and i think mm. i mean i got some comments with because i was socializing with 
local people in the country I lived in who weren't mm. Christians, um, mm. that kind of thing. And I think mm. it became increased. I think I saw it in, as increasingly controlling as time went on. Um, yeah. There were certainly times when I asked quite well-meaning questions. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? To be told, you know, I had a spirit of Jezebel or a spirit of rebellion or oh, I was in gosh. rebellion. I was disobedient oh, to God and this kind of thing. Um, and then that included, you know, my mother got very, very ill following a serious accident. And and when I was sort of contemplating coming back to the UK, um, being told, well, you know, if you go, if you no one who doesn't leave mother or father, blah, 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 can be a follower of mine, this kind of thing, being basically being told wow. I was not a follower of Christ if I left the country I was in and and came back home to a very sick parent, um, oh. which, you know, that had huge ramifications. Yeah for my relationship with my mother and mm. now she's no longer with us and I can't go back and say I'm so sorry because you know that's it's one of those Gosh. it's one of those real guilt things yeah. about that deconstruction yeah yeah well that and I guess toxic you know, time, and terrible if I may say so yeah, yeah absolutely um mm. and 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 I, I think anyone who goes through deconstruction has that mixture of looking back at some of the decisions we took or some of the beliefs we had and thinking, well, on one hand, I was a product of a particular context, which is particularly controlling often, mm. not always, but often. Um, on the other hand, I was a functioning adult. Uh, and where where do we draw the line of responsibility? Yeah. That's a, a really sure. tough question. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, it's a hard one to untangle. Um, and I think over time, you know, things just started to unravel. Um just sort of seeing people um, treated badly, being treated badly by people who mm. claimed to speak for God and claimed to mm. be speaking the truth in love. That's always a yeah uh, scary caveat. Um, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. phrase. Yeah, um, and and I guess yeah, I moved back to the UK. I worked for another Christian organisation, which was much more broad and much more. People were kind of saying, "Oh, have you read this book? Have you read that theologian?" Theologian, we're allowed to read theologians because I wasn't allowed to read theology because it might deaden my faith. Wow. Um, wow, this kind of thing. So just a much broader outlook, I think, um, and being exposed to people who weren't Christians and were functioning perfectly well and were quite happy. Um, mm. Yeah, and things just unravelled over over quite a period of time i guess yeah mm. so I, I think i suspect you probably started answering your next question which is what what really led you to write this book i mean you can start to see what's happening in your life in response to that but what were you seeing around you as well did you were you having friends who are in similar places as well yeah, I started to connect really with people pr primarily online. I think I had a few mm. friends who were going through similar stuff and I hadn't really, I guess, coming across the term deconstruction. Um, it's not, you know, it's not everyone's favorite term. It's not my favorite term, but having that term meant that I could go looking for stuff and for people online mm. um, and actually connecting with people online and finding things like podcasts and mm. Mm. Um, and you know, Instagram platforms, whatever, uh, Facebook groups. So connecting with people that way, but kind of looking for, I guess, resources to guide me through the process um, in some ways, but also, I suppose, something to tell me that things would be okay. Mm. Um, and I couldn't find much that was not American. Mm. And there's some 
great American stuff. Um, is, and, yeah. and there's some American authors who have, you know, who've meant a lot to me, uh, people like Richard Rohr or Sue Monk Kidd or Rob Bell, et cetera, mm. at different times. Um, but finding uh, the British experience is different. Uh, mm. There's There is a certain amount of overlap, particularly mm. in the era of internet, but yeah. our experience is different. Our, our church culture is a little different. We certainly mm. don't have the political polarization of, of the American mm. churches at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I wanted something which was British based and could find very little. Uh, and so, mm. and I kind of thought, well, maybe I should write something and then back down from that quite quickly because that was too terrifying. Um, but actually also realizing that most of the stuff I was reading was written by people who already had a platform. They were already quite well known. Mm. And I thought, but what about the rest of us mm. who the vast majority of people who deconstruct, who nobody, you know, nobody's heard their name. They don't mm. have the support mm. of followers. They just have the experience of potentially leaving, probably leaving a mm. community where they felt close friendships what about those of us who have faithfully served our churches or faithfully turned up at youth group or, mm. you know, or yeah. even been employed yeah. by the church or a mission agency? Yes, indeed. Yeah. What about us, the normal yeah. experience? And I really enjoy hearing people's stories. So I kind of thought, okay, well, what if I collect loads of people's stories um, yeah. and sort of weave mine into the midst of that? And um, how did you do and that? Hopefully how, create how did you, something. Sorry, how did you go about well, that process? Yeah, no, I... Um, disappeared down a bit of an internet deconstruction <laughs> rabbit hole um and then put together a survey uh had a couple of friends who helped me put together a survey and i put that online in when was that april 21 and i thought well maybe it was quite a long and in-depth yeah. survey um and i thought i might get 50 people or so to fill it in and it turned up i closed it at 400 yeah. um because it yeah. was getting overwhelming uh and i allowed people the option to be interviewed um, mm. if under a pseudonym if they wanted to be and mm. I ended up interviewing 140 people which again was a heck of a lot more than I bargained wow. for yeah but just fascinating and they were people yeah. from all over really um, they were you know British primarily British um, and American mm. um, but you know also Canadians various Europeans Aussies Kiwis mm. Um, mm. overwhelmingly white um, that's mm. uh, that's something I will say, and it's something which I've noticed in online deconstruction platforms as well. Um, this seems to seems to be quite a quite a white evangelical or ex evangelical mm. phenomenon, uh, okay. really. Um, yeah. And I, I I'm not 100 percent sure why, okay. um, but and I don't think I'm qualified to to really sure. start digging into why. But um, but it was a real mixture from age, you know. 18 right up to late 70s um and and what yeah. i mean were you surprised by anything in those responses you had I'm, I'm sure you could have predicted some of the responses did anything sort of stand out for you or shock you i or? think there were things which i think there were things which shocked me more than surprised me hmm. um i wasn't surprised at the levels of abusive behavior in churches and I think abusive is a very strong word and I'm mm. using it intentionally because it was horrific it was mm. horrific what some people had been through mm. um and the just the widespread nature of that and I think that where you have um a church culture which tends towards control tends towards leaders being untouchable tends towards um my word as a leader 
trumps anything which you might think, mm -hmm. feel, say, believe. Um, yeah. I speak for God more than you do. That kind of culture, yeah. which we do, I'm afraid, often oh, see, gosh. and a sort of a celebrity yeah. culture that goes with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid we've seen it, you know, more recently in the whole thing, mm. the Soul Survivor and Michael Yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously that's unfortunately not an isolated case. And I mm. think that the sort of mega church culture, but it's um, it's mega church culture, it's not just mega churches, um, unfortunately can really encourage that kind of um, controlling yeah. and abusive behavior. Yeah. So yeah. I think that shocked me, but it didn't surprise me. Uh, something that surprised me was the age demographics that the patterns fell in, I guess patterns, yeah. So mm. there was kind of a clear pattern. People over about 50, 55 didn't tend to have had such a traumatic experience. It tended to be a more theologically based, primarily theologically based um, unpicking mm. of beliefs. Some had had a more traumatic experience, mm. um, but it tended to be a gentler process. People between about 50 and maybe early or mid 30s, particularly women, a lot of it focused around purity culture and the damage that had done in their lives. Wow. And a lot of people are accused, oh, well, you know, you just went through deconstruction because you wanted to sin, you wanted to sleep with someone. That's not what I'm talking about. And I didn't come across anybody for whom that was the case. It mm. was people who had been profoundly damaged. Their relationships mm. had been damaged. Perhaps their marriages had been damaged by purity culture. Perhaps they had mm. been strongly pressured into staying into physically abusive marriages, that kind of yeah. thing. Um so that was definitely, yeah. definitely a thing for that kind of age group. And then people who were younger than that, sort of 18 to mid 30s, um, it was very much more based around justice issues, a lot of church abuse, but justice issues such as um, LGBTQ justice, um, yeah. racial justice, um, church lack of response on uh, climate issues, yeah. on yeah. Um, in, in America, particularly the church response to covid um, mm. although I would say that for, for most people in any age group, there was a recognition that those were major issues. Um, all of those were major issues, particularly LGBTQ plus justice. Um, mm. yeah. I don't think many people didn't mention that. Um, yeah, yeah but those kind of age demographics surprised me. Mm. Yeah. Oh, really? So you've written this book. There's, a, there's three sections in the book. I mean, I'm telling you how you wrote your book here, but you know, never mind. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> for, the, for the benefit of the listener. <laughs> so part one, money, sex and power. Part two, stumbling box, blocks. And part three, the slippery slope. So um, let's, let's just, can we just take those by each one? Money, sex and power. What what are you wanting to say about money, sex and power in, the, in relation to the church at this time or faith? So it was that section is really a look mm. at people's church experiences and the mm. culture of church. And it was, as I've said, overwhelmingly mm. evangelical, white evangelical mm. churches. There were a few outlier, outliers who weren't mm. from that background, a couple of Seventh-day mm. Adventists, um, mm. uh, you know, some from more traditional churches, um, mm. but more 
the majority was sort of from evangelical churches, some conservative, some charismatic. And it was really looking at um, how those churches function. And it's amazingly mm. global. Um, mm. They kind of even some of the some of the things like telling the truth in love um, and yeah. um, some of the <laughs> love you know, that phrase. just practices, <laughs> accountability practices, the some of the. Um, I guess the more controlling behavior, the the attempt to control what people think, um, the kind of language which is used, the way you dress, mm. uh, what you do with your time, who you socialize with, who you date, who you marry, what you do with your money, um, that very all-encompassing experience, mm. sort of as someone put it, a pretty much a wraparound, wraparound mm. experience. Mm. Um, so it was a look at that kind of thing. And yeah. Um, just people's reflections on that and what that had meant mm. to them. And, and some of that was good, you know, that very mm. cohesive community, which I think you don't find in many other contexts, mm. but a lot of that became quite toxic. And mm. of course, if you try and leave a very cohesive community, um, particularly if it's been controlling, then it can, mm. you can be ostracized. Mm. And people were very much sort of saying, you know, people said, once I left and I'd been at that church for 10, 15 years, very much involved. And I, once I left, nobody spoke to me again, or people mm. would blank me yeah. in the street or sure. people I'd been close Awful. to told me they didn't trust me anymore. Um, so that was, yeah, that was, it was mm. tough to hear, tough to yeah. hear the stories, yeah. even though they weren't surprising. Yeah. Mm. And then the next section is called stumbling blocks. What do you mean by stumbling blocks? Well, I mean, that's hmm. certainly, um, I suppose the the context in which I have um, heard that particular mm. term most is, you know, being being told or hearing particularly sort of female friends being told that they are being a stumbling block to the boys. Um, so that <laughs> section, that whole section is is about. <laughs> I know um, oh, I'm being told God. that I was um, I was causing the boys to stumble when I was wearing a really pretty foul baggy t-shirt um you know high necked baggy t-shirt on a hot sweaty day um but i had sort of you know one slightly graying bra strap which was just showing underneath the sleeve uh, and but that was causing the boys to stumble, stumble. uh oh, which i think said more about the person saying that than it did about me yes, or the boys generally so because yeah it wasn't a pretty sight um but yeah it was it that section is all specific issues like purity culture uh mm. like gender hierarchies in church yeah. um like mm. uh the the treatment of lgbtq plus people mm. um and and some specific theologies that people mm. tended to deconstruct around. So substitutionary atonement was one of them. The mm. idea of hell, um, those kinds of things, um, yeah. or or the idea of sort of saved and unsaved, those mm. kinds of binaries, um, those came up. And also the sort of healing culture in church and the ableism that goes with that, the pressure to be healed, mm. and the guilt and the shaming that can often um, mm. come alongside that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, golly. Oh dear, <laughs> this is bringing back so many memories. For me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then the last bit was this uh, part three is the slippery slope, or just slippery slope. Yeah. So that yeah. was really about um, people's mm. deconstruction journeys and yeah. itself, really, and where they've got to now, for now, because I think mm. it is, you know, for most people, it is a, an ongoing and, and lifelong journey. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so what that process was like for them, really, it's. Mm. Um, and for most, there was there was a certain amount of hardship. It's not easy to have 
a real core piece of your identity uprooted and overturned uh, because right. I don't think deconstruction is just, oh, I changed my mind about women in leadership or, or you know, I changed mm. my mind about no. LGBTQ plus relationships being sinful or not sinful. It's it's a it's an absolute overhaul. It's the whole um, lot. And yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. never going to be easy. Whatever, whatever the no. identity piece is that you are overhauling mm, it's yeah. it's difficult and for a lot of people it had caused tension in relationships um including you know i spoke to a number of people whose marriages were on the brink mm. um or who were being ostracized by close family members um or who were you know a lot of people but I should, i'd say about half the people i spoke to asked for a pseudonym um, because they were concerned about you know, being mm. being outed as deconstructing or mm. having gone through that. Um, on the other hand, it was very much nobody was saying, "Oh, I, I wish I'd never deconstructed." People were saying, "You know, yes, it's it's hard, or it's been hard, or or it's you know, what on earth's going on?" Yeah. If it was a very fresh new thing, um, but people were overwhelmingly also saying, "This is worth it. This yeah. is worth it for yeah. the authenticity and the freedom, absolutely, and the the." peace that I feel um well, and they had yeah they got to all sorts of different places and were finding that peace and that freedom and that authenticity mm. wherever they'd landed mm. whether that was mm. you know atheism or being ordained yeah. post deconstruction well, it's really interesting because we you know our podcast is called mid-faith crisis and it's quite a you know jovial podcast I suppose and we we try to keep it light but we were reflecting just recently that the word crisis is not a joke I mean, mm. a crisis is exactly what it is, especially if you've spent your whole life being told this is the way, this is the truth. And maybe generations of your family have done that. Yeah. And then you're the one that goes, yeah. I don't think so. This this yeah. does not make any sense whatsoever. Um, yeah. And and and, mm. and where do you go? And it is, it is very disruptive. And I think, you know, in is, sorry. Yeah, Sorry, no, well, I think there's some real ingrained trauma as well. I mean, so many people told me that they still have nightmares about mm. the rapture. They still have nightmares about hell, even oh. when they don't actually believe in those things anymore. Or they still, I mean, I know I I still have the odd nightmare about being forced to go back into missions. <laughs> <laughs> um, and specifically that, that specific organization I worked for. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's a real... <laughs> kind of go this this is it's not quite on the scale of um going to hell um hell nightmares but um but the fact that people are still having nightmares years later mm. um is just speaks volumes i'm afraid um mm. especially coming from an institution which is supposed to be based on love mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thank you. And this is this is so good. I've still got so much I want to ask you. So sorry to <laughs> rush us along. But um I noticed right at the beginning of the book, you 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 mentioned Dance of the Distant Daughter by Sue Monk Kidd. Mm. And that has been such a formational book in my wife's life and and therefore my life now. And we've come on quite separate journeys through our deconstruction um a season of our lives and I think it's important for that that it has been very much my separate journey and her separate journey but we've ended up rather wonderfully few in the same place but for her that book mm. has been pivotal because up until that she had always sensed something about the nature of God as not being exclusively male because it's our father yeah. Jesus said our father end of story 
Let's not talk about yeah. this. God's a man, a mighty man, a king, a warrior, almighty. And yet that it never really rang true to her. And to any of the sort of more mystical experiences she had had, not she'd had many, but of those, that was not how God seemed at all. And so to mm-hmm. encounter a book that talked about the feminine divine and talked about that it is actually genuinely feasible to have a whole different image of God was transformation. I just wondered what, what your story was with that book and, and where it's led you to your understanding of the divine now. That's not wow, too many it's questions. just a Sorry. fantastic book. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful book. She's a wonderful mm. writer and thinker. Um, and she's done a lot of other fantastic work as well, mm. which I'd highly recommend. That mm. book for me was the first of her writing that I'd come across. Mm. And I think, you know, sounds similar to your wife. It was that kind of that background itch of this can't be it. Um I think she actually, I mean, she quotes so many people in so many different traditions, Mm. which is one of the reasons I love the book. But one of the people Mm. she quotes is Mary Daly, who says, if God is male, male is God. And, Mm. you know, just things like that. It just opened my mind to such different ways of looking at the divine, not just in terms of gender, but also the traditions that she draws on. She And she Mm. looks at you know, Greek goddesses, she looks at um, a lot of Catholicism, she looks at all sorts of things. And but then her own very powerful story is woven in there as well. And it's, it's, it was such a sort of, I suppose it was such a seminal, early part of my deconstruction, I wouldn't have seen it as that then, but it really was. And then I've gone back to it several times, and most recently, read it with a group of others. Um, And again, and that in itself, you know, it's it's formed almost a little community of just fantastic mm. other mm. women who I've read it with now. Um, and it's it just mm. goes on and on to have more and more meaning for me. Mm. Um, and then her most recent novel, The Book of Longings, which is about mm. the fictional wife of Jesus and her female spiritual journey, likewise, is another mm. just yeah. very meaningful book. Yeah. And I suppose with, with me, sort of my... I guess uh, I'd find it hard to pin down my view of the divine now that it's sort of, Mm. it's a huge unknown. And actually Mm. I'm fine with that because Mm. I think for so long that forced certainty, you know, I've called the book uncertain because Mm. I'm finding so much freedom in that uncertainty and that freedom to explore. And I suppose an inner expansion um, and an inner, an expansion of, of love an expansion of where I can find spirituality Mm. and joy Mm. whether that is finding it just as spiritual to be rolling on the floor with my dogs or getting into Mm. very cold water in a river um as as anything else really um i I love the way you described that i really do and and it resonates so deeply with me and i know it will with many of our listeners i think you know somehow the the sort of standard christian spirituality certain that certainly that I grew up with was somehow divorced from nature and creation in the world. You know, that was just something God mm. did uh, once yeah. and, God and, is and it's fallen and broken. Third party. Yeah. And that <laughs> yeah. sort of God is a third party entity. I think I, yeah. Yeah. it just doesn't stand up for me any longer. Right. That's not, you know, God has got to be, if you know, the divine, I, again, I like you, I don't like using the word God really because no. it, it's so tied up with particular things, but that sense of some yeah. kind of divine in a very embodied way, uh, whether that embodiment is nature, 
the sheep outside my window right now yeah. or or me or you know or my mm. wonderful relationships with wonderful people mm, absolutely oh bless you thank you now um probing a bit deeper if i may i mean just <laughs> i wonder i wonder in all of this if it, the danger is it can make us very cynical about church i think and and yeah. i think sometimes there is a healthy cynicism and i think it's very good to have that but i always think if you t- stay in cynicism too long it kind of it's unhealthy i sort of i sort of feel i want to be more positive and one of richard Moore's quotes that i'm always uh say is you know the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better so we started mm. a little group and that was our expression of church i just wonder what church might look like for you and 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 whether you go to a, a traditional church or whether you start something else or, or what you even think would would constitute a healthy church coming out of writing this book wow i think well, I mean, I think I, I will say that, you know, it, it, in some ways, for the sake of almost getting away from some of the cynicism, you know, the church is an institution like any other. And I think mm. when certainly my pre-deconstruction days, there was a lot of, I think, putting it on a pedestal, um, church exceptionalism and allowing the church to get away with things which uh, other organizations wouldn't and Mm. and not investigating it as much and actually I think when we start to see it as an institution and a group of people alongside any other it stops it being pedestalized so much Mm. and on one hand it it means that we can Mm. critique it much more effectively but it also says you know I think the cynicism comes from having pedestalized it and having seen it fall from that place of Mm. you know almost idolatry mm. um i don't know if i've particularly re put together any particular idea of church and i'm not sure i'm qualified either mm. um to do that other than um other than the fact that some of my best friends are clergy mm. <laughs> and and also <laughs> seeing seeing some christians around me who particularly who weren't ever involved in that kind of charismatic evangelicalism that i was involved with um being genuine just decent people um accepting open loving people um and i guess starting to you know i suppose i found a form of spiritual community amongst other people who have gone through or are going through deconstruction mm. um and i don't want to call that church and i think mm. that for yeah, a lot of people sure. who perhaps leave um yeah mm. church becomes a really complicated word, but I suppose mm. a sense of spiritual community uh, with mm. others who've been through yeah. similar stuff. Um, and, but then maybe, mm. maybe also I find a form of spirituality in the community that I have in my village pub with mm. wonderful neighbors who mm. support each other um, mm. and get together and chat about whatever mm. um and and there is a mm. i think there's a spirituality in that as well um absolutely or going along to my village church on uh, for the carol service and eating the scones mm. afterwards yeah. you know it's it's all i i don't think i've really sort of yeah. defined it um, yes, in any you, particularly concrete you don't terms. need to delineate it quite so clearly it can yeah it can be uh, yeah a mash and that's good thank you um mm. okay i suppose uh we ought to wrap things up a bit but 
what's your hope um, for people who are reading this? What, 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 what did you have in mind as you were writing it? Who did you hope would read it? And what do you hope they would get from reading it? I suppose one thing that I found and an awful lot of people seem to find when they start asking questions at church or where they get really into the thick of a, a deconstruction mm. process is often an isolation. Uh, you know, their questions are not welcomed at church. Mm. Um, perhaps they are being shunned or ostracized or being told, uh, you know, all sorts of mm. unpleasant things about the state of their spiritual life or their soul. Um, and for people to, what I wanted was for people to read it and kind of go, oh, there are other people going yeah. through this. Yeah. To have a sense of solidarity. That's why I did it sort of as a collective memoir, because mm. I kind of yeah. thought, you know, look, we're all out there. There are so many of us. You're not on your own. And yeah. hopefully people will see something of their own reflections and stories in the reflections and stories of others in the book. Um, something Definitely. will resonate there so that I'm people sure. just don't feel so alone. Yeah, I'm sure they were. I mean, there were so many. I stopped underlining, but the quote from uh, Sue <laughs> on later, she says, I mean, I just thought this encapsulated it. So the start of what I would call the mid-faith crisis, people talk about grace, but it never won. Grace would never win above all the things you were meant to do. And I thought, yeah, mm. yeah, I completely understand where that comment is coming from. You, you preach yeah. love, you talk about it the whole time. But the message behind all of that is you better shape up or you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And the irony of of actually coming out of all that and kind of going, oh, now I'm finding grace. Now yes. I'm finding love without judgment. Now I'm finding, you know, a real peace and an expansive. Yeah, it's yeah. it's all kind of there once you once you've you know, once you start asking the hard questions. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? Um that you feel like I haven't asked you adequately or, or, or that you want to say to people to encourage them Gosh. or give them hope? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I guess, you know, one thing which which a lot of people said when I was interviewing with them was that um, they really, one thing they found hard was learning to trust themselves again, especially after years and years of possibly being taught, you know, um, the heart is deceitful or, you know, mm that kind of thing basically being taught to question themselves all the time and i think um i i think apart from finding community um to go through deconstruction mm. with you learning to trust yourself again learning wow. to trust your own experiences yeah. and your own wisdom and your own body yeah uh, is hugely important and worth taking time over well I think that is a wonderful place to leave it. Olivia Jackson, thank you so much for being on the podcast. The book is called thank you. Un Uncertain, a Collective Memoir of Deconstructing Faith. Bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I thought that was a, a really uh, fascinating interview. Um, mm. I, I found it slightly sort of otherworldly in a way because her experience mm. is so, well, it seems to me extreme, but, but perhaps it's not extreme. Perhaps I've just been you know, ignorant of that kind of uh, almost cult-like um, sort of control. Well, look, between you and me, I did correctly guess the mission organisation she worked for, and I've ha I have heard similar comments, I yeah, to say, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the past. But we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more, but I'd be fascinated to hear uh, what our listeners made of that and what you think of it and, and what resonated with, with you. Um, and do, you know, we love to hear your stories, so please do write in love love to hear from you yeah 
Yeah, so we're not going to discuss that now. We'll come back next week uh, with our thoughts on that. And anything you want to feed in, that would be great. Mm. I think there's lots to talk about. There's whole power structures and, yeah. you know, the need for control and that sense of grief and loss and, uh, you know, feeling you're in or out, all that kind of stuff. And the whole thing about untouchable leaders. I mean, oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. No, great stuff. Yeah, so we'll we'll chat about that next uh, episode. Um, so anyway, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening, as ever. Thank you to those who support the podcast. You can do that from our website, which is uh, midfaithcrisis.org. Yeah. Um, if you would like to respond to the interview or indeed any of the other um, less interesting and less uh, helpful content that we tend to come out with, um, yeah. do send an email to joe at midfaithcrisis.org. be great to hear from you. Uh, remember pith is always good yes um, and i think that's in the bible um anyway uh yeah so uh, we thanks for ever so much for listening and uh, we will be back with you next week see you then great be kind to yourself 